A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you remember the story of the patriarch Joseph, you may remember that it's quite a roller coaster. His fortune changes dramatically throughout the story. It goes up and down and up and down. He begins by being the favored son of his father Jacob, who gives him that technicolor dream coat. Uh, And in spite of that favor, however, his brothers hate him. In fact, because of his father's favor, they hate him. And so one day when Joseph was to check on his brothers to see how they were doing out in the field, they took him and they threw him into a well. They threw him into a pit and they were conspiring, in fact, to kill him. So he went from this pinnacle of being favored by his father to now sitting in the bottom of a pit expecting to be dead because his brothers hate him. Things improve a little bit for him because they don't kill him, but they sell him into slavery. He makes his way to Egypt, and while he's in slavery, things gradually improve so that he's a servant in his master's house, in his master Potiphar's house, and eventually he becomes basically in charge of all things in the house. He's so respected, so trusted by his master that he's given control over everything, authority over everything. That is, except over Potiphar's wife, something that Joseph knows full well. His wife is out of bounds for him. But Potiphar's wife had other plans, and as she tries to seduce Joseph, Joseph resists, and in the end it comes back to bite him. She cries out and she accuses him of uh, making a joke of her, making a mockery of her, trying to assault her, and so he's thrown into prison. Up and down and up and down his life goes, and there he is in prison with the baker and the butler of the king, and he is talking to them and and, uh, interprets their dreams for them. And the one has his head chopped off and the other is restored to his position. And Joseph says, before you go, remember me in the presence of your master Pharaoh. Well, that fellow didn't. And there Joseph languishes in prison until he's put in charge of everything else in prison. Up and down his life goes. Up and down. 
Pharaoh has a dream and needs an interpreter, and none of the wise men in the land can interpret it, so Joseph is called because his good deed is remembered. He interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh recognizes the wisdom that Joseph has, and so Joseph is put in charge of everything. Second in command to Pharaoh. Second in command in charge of everything except for what Pharaoh's name belongs to itself. Up and down his life goes. Now the thing that's remarkable about the story as we observe Joseph over the course of these years and these episodes, the thing that is most remarkable is that he is steady. We don't hear him complain. We don't hear him lament. We don't hear him moan and grumble about his situation. He is steady. And that is because of his faith in God. He trusts that whether he's up or down or somewhere in between, his life is in God's hands. He trusts the promises that he has from God. He trusts that God is taking care of him. God is directing his ways. And that is why, even when he's at the bottom of a pit or languishing in prison or on his way to Egypt in slavery, he can endure. Because he knows that his life is in his Father, is in his Heavenly Father's hands. Now that's an impressive thing, and it's laudable to be faithful, to remain steady, even when life is way down in the pits. That's an amazing thing. That's a gift from God. But what's even more amazing is that at the end of the story, when Joseph is at his highest, second in command, he saved the whole world from famine. While Joseph is at his highest, he's seen his father again. His father has been restored to him. His brothers have come and he's been reunited with him. While he's at his highest, he does not lord it over his brothers. He does not lord it over anyone. Even when he's at his highest, he remains humble and steady, faithful and trusting in God, to the point where he says these remarkable words. His brothers come to him and they say, you're going to destroy us, Joseph, because of what we did to you. We're afraid. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. And Joseph says these remarkable faithful words. He says, am I in God's place? You meant something for evil, but God has used it for good. It's even more amazing that when Joseph is at his highest, he remembers God. It's more amazing than when he's low. It's easy to remember God when you are low, when you are high, when all is well, when things are going good for you, when everything's going according to plan, when you're succeeding, when you're checking all the boxes and you feel like you've made it, that's when it is hardest to remember God. And that is what Joseph exemplifies for us. He remembers God. He remembers what God has done for him. Joseph is steady. This is what Paul means when he talks about having learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, we usually think that what we need is a secret for enduring all of the difficult things in life. And when we think of that, we are often imagining that there's some key, some list of 10 steps, something that we can do, some self-help remedy to get ourselves out of trouble. That's what we want, a way to get ourselves out of the trouble we suffer in life. But notice what Paul says. He says it's not a secret to getting ourselves out of trouble or finding our way through the difficult times. It's a secret that is both for the good times and the bad. It's a secret for times of abundance and need. A secret for times of plenty and hunger. A secret for times of being brought low and for abounding. Because it's the same secret. It's the same remedy. It's the same cure. And that is faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is believing that you can do all things through him who strengthens you. It is believing that even when things are good, you can put the good to good use. It is believing that when even things are bad, God is using the bad to train you in righteousness. It is believing that everything belongs to God. 
We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gifts may be, the good and the bad, they belong to God. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Paul says. I can do all things. I am steady, Paul says. Whether my life is up or down, I rejoice. I rejoice not in myself, not in what I've accomplished for myself, not in my, my own grit or my own resilience or my own success, but I rejoice in God who has made me something that I would never have been, who has called me out of darkness into his glorious light, who has redeemed me for a purpose beyond whatever I could have planned for myself. I've learned the secret of facing good and bad, Paul says. That is the secret for you to learn as well. It is not a secret as though it's just like one little piece of information that you need, but it is the wisdom that comes from on high. It is hearing God's word and his Holy Spirit going to work on you. It is the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. It is the wisdom that comes from God creating and sustaining and strengthening faith in your heart. It comes only by hearing God's word, by receiving his gifts, by learning who he is, and by learning to put your trust in him. Learn the secret of enduring all things. Learn the secret of being faithful when things are good. Learn the secret of putting your trust in God. The way to do that is to thank God for his gifts, especially the gift of forgiveness in Christ Jesus. The way to do that, the secret, is Jesus on the cross, who makes his home with you, who dwells in your heart, so that more and more, day after day, as you make your way through life, you grow to be like him. Joseph was steady in the face of this roller coaster of his life, but he is nothing in comparison with the one he was foreshadowing, Jesus himself, who, when things are at their worst, dying on the cross, still prays for you, still trusts his Father. Who, when things are at their best, as he's vindicated over death and the grave and over sin and every evil, still prays for you and trusts his Father. Follow his example. Put your trust in him and learn like Paul. Learn like Paul the secret. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.